Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Back in Ohio, where I come from, I've done a lot of dreaming and a travel some, but I never thought I'd see the day when I ever took a ride on the Santa Fe. When you hear Judy Garland singing on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, you know this episode is going to be fun. The topic, though, is going to surprise you. The song is probably the most famous from the 1946 film The Harvey Girls that also starred Ray Bolger. While it has nothing to do with this episode, I do love the marketing tagline, it's blazing, blistering romance in the wide open spaces. Okay, here's another number from The Harvey Girls that will get this episode headed in the right direction. The uniform must be just right, but Mr. Fred has said that uniform or no uniform, the train must be fed. The train must be fed. In fact, thousands upon thousands of people needed to be fed. And wouldn't you know it, we figured out how to do it fast, right here in Kansas. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, Fast Food Kansas. Me, I'm your host, Sam Zeff. So Fred Harvey had a nomadic and varied life before finally settling in Kansas. After immigrating to the U.S. from Liverpool in 1853, he started work as a pot scrubber in a New York restaurant. He worked his way up to cook, would work in a jewelry store in New Orleans, before going to work for the Hannibal and St. Joseph Railroad. It's that job that brought him to Kansas. Joining me now is archiver historian Virgil Dean. I don't think people understand uh, the important role that my beloved Kansas plays in fast food. And the original fast food actually goes back a lot farther than we think, and that is uh, Harvey Houses, which were set up along uh, railroad lines so people could stop and eat. Talk to me about uh, Harvey Houses. I think it's really legitimate to think about the Harvey Harvey House as the first, in some ways, fast food because that was its whole... Uh, the whole idea, provide good, fast food for people who are traveling across Kansas initially and then the country on the, the railroad, uh, which was, of course, our main source of transportation in the, in the 19th century. Fred Harvey came up with the idea, of an immigrant from England, uh, worked in a lot of different businesses, including the restaurant business, before he ended up in Topeka. He purchased or got the rights to run the uh, lunch counter at the Topeka Depot and started that in the the late 70s, 1876 or 77, I believe, that uh, grew into uh, a chain of Harvey House restaurants and hotels from Topeka, Kansas, and I think eventually further east to the West Coast. Uh, by the time he died in 1901, he had 47 res- uh, restaurants and 15 hotels that he operated And again, their idea was uh, good, fast food with good service because the railroads would only stop for a short period of time. And there were, prior to this time, very few places that people could get that kind of a meal. I think people forget how long a train journey could have been, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast, you might be on a train for four or five days. Yeah, you're talking several days, right? So the ability to have uh, a decent meal 
uh, if you weren't rich and traveling on a Pullman car where you could afford to eat in a, in a decent dining car, uh, to be able to have a reasonably priced meal in 15 or 20 minutes was a pretty genius and entrepreneurial thing to do. Yeah, I, I think there's no question about it. And, and by all accounts, the meals were actually pretty good. They continued to be pretty cheap. And, of course, in uh, before too long, uh, one of the attractions was the service that these people got at the restaurants, at the Harvey restaurants, and that was the Harvey Girls, uh, which I, I don't think this would fly today, but uh, these girls were hired because of their attractiveness as well as their, you know, their uh, maturity to a certain extent and their ability to really work hard. And the fact that they were single for the most part, too, I think, uh, because they were women com- young women coming out west, the story on it or the uh, uh, positive spin that they put on it, too, was a lot of them were able to go out and find husbands out west. So that was uh, supposedly a good draw for, for the young ladies. There weren't a lot of uh, good employment options for right. young women going out west. There would be the Harvey House and then perhaps some other sort of house. So if you, if you were uh, – and, and a lot of these Harvey girls, uh, it's not like they would work – near their hometown. I mean, they could put them anywhere mm-hmm. uh, along the uh, the Harvey chain. Yeah, that's right. And they, uh, you know, for, for, from the whole distance from through Kansas and on further west to the southwest, they would uh, work and, and became the kind of a symbol of, of that to the point where you, of course, then have the famous movie Harvey Girls that Judy Garland did in the, uh, in the 1940s. So as train travel gave way to highways and cars, Harvey houses faded away, and people wanted even faster food. And a couple of guys in Wichita figured out how to do that. That's a White Castle radio ad from 1969, the restaurant that made the slider famous opened at First in Maine in Wichita in 1921. Diner owner Walt Anderson and insurance man Billy Ingram partnered up to create White Castle. With its well-targeted advertising campaign, pure white exterior and stainless steel interior, White Castle, by some accounts, revived the public's appetite for ground beef. Many people were scared to eat it, following the publication of Upton Sinclair's novel The Jungle in 1906 and the movie by the same name in 1914. The chain quickly spread, opening its second store in El Dorado in 1922 and opening its first store outside of Kansas and Indianapolis in 1927 and to the movies in 2004. Oh, dude, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry as balls. Yeah, no, dude, let's eat. Hey, no, no, I don't feel like delivery tonight. What about KFC? Yeah. No, 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 we've been there too many times. I want something we haven't had in a while. Something different, something that'll really hit the spot. I want the perfect food. Are you hungry? Then come to White Castle and try our slider special. Six burgers, fries, and a soft drink for only $2.99. Imagine all those burgers in your stomach right now. Don't you like food that's tasty and delicious? I do. Then what are you waiting for? 
Head over to White Castle. It's what we crave. A clip from Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, the first in the Harold and Kumar franchise. Of course, if they got the munchies in central Kansas, they would end up at the Cozy Inn in downtown Salina. And I don't think you're a real Kansan unless you had sliders at the Cozy's. But I wasn't sure which came first, White Castle or Cozy. So naturally, I turned to archiver historian Virgil Dean. According to their own history, Cozy followed White Castle by a year. White Castle was founded in 1921 in Wichita, and uh, Cozy came the next year. But they, their inspiration for their, you know, kind of the, the slider type, it yeah. came to be called yeah. a slider uh, type hamburger with no frills uh, and very little meat, <laughs> uh, was, uh, was the, uh, the White Castle restaurant, which started in Wichita. So the, the interesting thing, I think, about it is that they did start so close together, but also that, that Cozy just kind of uh, was content to pretty much stay put. Uh, and it's gone through a couple in more recent years. It stayed in the family for a long time. It's got some new ownership now, but they continue to, in Salina, to push that. I think there is a, as far as I know, there's only one other one in recent years that uh, moved into Aggieville in Manhattan. But uh, I haven't, I've walked by that one. It's, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You've got to go to the Salina Cozy Inn uh, in order to really get a cozy burger. But Kansas wasn't nearly done with fast food. And the next restaurant concept was even bigger. You might have guessed that the final stop on our fast food journey is Pizza Hut, founded in Wichita in 1958 by brothers Dan and Frank Carney, who borrowed 600 bucks from their mom to open the first store. In 1965, they aired their first TV ad in Wichita. It has a kind of Keystone Cops feel. A guy orders a pizza on the phone and then races to Pizza Hut in a tiny kid's Mustang convertible, chased by his neighbors. Clearly, the ad has nothing to do with pizza and everything to do with the convenience of takeout. The brothers Carney sold the business to Pepsi in 1977, and Pizza Hut is now owned by Yum Brands, based in China. Pizza Hut can still be big news in Wichita. In September, the original building was moved onto the Wichita State campus, where it will house Pizza Hut memorabilia. So the fact that fast food has its roots in Kansas is fun, damn fun. But what did we turn loose on America? To help me figure that out, I went to this woman. Elizabeth Berger, just like a hamburger without the ham. Ironic for today's conversation, I guess. And I am a senior program officer at the Sunflower Foundation. I provide guidance and oversight for all our programming and grants around healthy eating, active living. All right, so you're exactly who I need to talk to. When you go out and talk to people, uh, what do you tell them about healthy eating and how we've slipped into the bad place we are apparently are now? Well, first of all, I would never actually say that to people because that is a judgment-laden statement. And if there's one thing in public health and looking at health systems, it's understanding the intersection of personal choices 
and the environment in which we're in that influence those choices. So the key is creating systems and structures that guide and facilitate people towards making the healthier decisions rather than the unhealthier ones. And unfortunately, right now in today's world, we live in what's called an obeso obesogenic environment. That's actually a word. And that's an environment that is saturated with the factors that guide us to make unhealthy decisions about our food choices and physical activity, meaning we don't do any. So to back up, if you, in public health, we know if you tell people not to do something or you tell them something is bad, they will do it. So it's much better to focus on the positive and creating systems and structures that facilitate them taking the healthy choice. And so are many of the unhealthy choices that we make driven by Pizza Hut commercials or McDonald's commercials or commercials for Coke or Pepsi. Uh, how much are we influenced uh, by that, do you think? Well, certainly, if you look at the research, the aggressive marketing by not only fast food companies, but the sweetened sugar beverage industry, and that can be anything from your sodas to your flavored coffees and so forth, to any highly processed manufacturer's food, they spend billions of dollars on advertising very sophisticated advertising and there's a field of study called behavioral economics that can pinpoint exactly how they um, help influence the decisions we make. So it's certainly a huge, huge part of it. If you grow up in an environment of fast food and potato chips and soda, isn't it hard to break that? And doesn't it get harder as we go generation to generation? You're absolutely right. We know that really our only saving grace right now to reverse this trend of obesity in our country is to focus on the children. And in fact, a startling statistic is we may be looking at the first generation of children that will live fewer years than their parents because of the chronic conditions, disability, and premature mortality that obesity will bring. If we know in the first three years of life are very formative, not only in your brain development, but in habit forming. And if a one-year-old is drinking soda out of a bottle, we are setting the stage for, I don't know how else to say it, it's almost like giving that child a, a, a shot that's going to give them, perhaps down the road, diabetes or cancer or heart disease. And I don't want that to sound like parents are intentionally abusing their children by any ways, but when we give children those foods, when they can't make those choices for themselves, not only are we giving them unhealthy foods, we are setting a pattern for them that is going to be so much harder to change down the road when they're 10, 20, 30, 50, 80, if they live that long. But Elizabeth is not a total fast food buzz killer. The key, like with anything else, is moderation. And one of my favorite fast food restaurants actually is Freddy's, which also started in Kansas, but it's more local. And that gets back to, yes, I actually do occasionally will eat fast food as a treat and that's the difference and not an everyday necessity. When you're in Salina, you go to the cozy? 
I've not been there yet, but it's on my bucket list for sure. A lot of what you eat is also determined by your eating environment. So there's more and more research about the importance of who you're eating with, your conversation, what are the external cues, how long are you taking to eat, are you being nourished both mentally and holistically as well as physically. So if I were to go to the cozy in Salina with my husband, which is something we've been looking forward to, and it's a treat, nutritionally the food may not be up to par, but it's a special event. I'm nourished by this meal, so it's part of an overall diet. And that's where I wish we could get more people to look at fast food. We're never, it's, it's not necessarily the enemy. If people could take control back and say, I'm going to have fast food as a treat once a week, or I'm going to have it once a month as a treat. But unfortunately, we live in a world where for whatever reason, a lot of people, it's, it's become a necessity and there's no longer any pleasure in those, that huge bolus of fat and sugar and salt that hits our system, which I already mentioned we're biologically programmed to crave. So our fast food journey through Kansas starts on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe with Judy Garland and ends with, well, a bit of a lecture on our eating habits. But we heard some nice music, learned some cool things, and I think we might all be craving a cozy slider right about now. I'm going to leave you with my favorite version of our theme song for this episode. It's a swinging big band sound by Johnny Mercer, who wrote the lyrics, backed by the Pied Pipers. It spent 16 weeks on the charts in 1945 and peaked at number one. Do you hear that whistle down the line? I figure that it's engine number 49. She's the only one that'll sound that way on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. And that's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer. You can see pictures of our fast food past at fountaincityfrequency.com. My thanks to Elizabeth Berger from the Sunflower Foundation for her help. And hey, if you like the podcast, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. For my favorite Kansas historian, Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver. All the way from Philadelphia, on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Sam.